I want to ask you a personal question this morning, and I hope you will answer it within yourself, honestly. Do you want power? Do you want power? I don't think you have to be um, a megalomaniac or power-hungry in the pejorative sense of that phrase. I don't think you have to be planning to run for high office in our nation to answer that question honestly and say, yes, I would like power. I think most of us, if we're truly honest with ourselves, will admit that we want influence in this world. Uh, We care for the capacity to shape things in life. Uh, We want, at the noblest level, I'm sure, to make a mark for good upon the world. Uh, We want, at the most practical kind of level, to have the at least enough influence to prevent harm from coming to us or to our loved ones. We want the ability to shape life in some way after the purposes that we have been inspired to pursue in life. And so the significant question is probably not do we want power, but what kind of power do we want? And what is the route we will take in order to achieve power and influence? In other words, will it be his or his? Will it be the path that uh, the enemy of God offers to us or will it be the path to power and influence that God offers to us Uh, in his word and way. The Bible says that Satan once invited Jesus himself to walk his way. If you just let me play on those words for a moment. Uh, The scriptures that we've just read remind us that the devil led Jesus up to a high place. He showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor For it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone that I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. It will all be yours. Now it's crucial to note that the devil here is, for a change, speaking something of the truth. Uh, He does have a capacity to give to people a certain kind of power. Uh, This is not one of his lies. Satan can give individuals, whether it be Jesus or you or me, a certain kind of influence. And, and, and to get what he offers us merely requires we be willing to take a few simple steps. Uh, a few steps that I want to try and illuminate for our understanding today so that when we are out there in the world, in our own wilderness, so to speak, we will be able to recognize the hiss of the serpent when it is trying to invite us down that particular pathway. Uh, The first step in the popular route to power is captured beautifully in the words that Satan speaks here when he says, I will give you splendor. I will give you splendor, he says to Jesus. Embedded in those words is the familiar notion that power is gained uh, or recognized by affirming one's splendor, or as another translation has it, one's glory. 
the familiar thinking goes that if you really want to have influence, then you've got to fight your way into the limelight. You need to get the spotlight on you. You need to use social media. You need to use the power of the press. You need to use the, uh, the strength of your voice to, to get the light on you, to, to uh, focus people's attention on you. You must distinguish yourself from the crowd. You must establish yourself as somebody to whom others should be looking for instruction or looking up to. In other words, you must exalt yourself. That's the first step in the pathway to power, as the devil uh, suggests it. Exalt yourself. Exalt yourself in some way. So some of us do. Uh, some of us work pretty hard to exalt ourselves. I'm reminded of the woman who came home one day with <coughs> an extremely expensive dress. Uh, her husband uh, happened to see the, the price tag on the dress before the tag was pulled off, and, and he went ballistic. <laughs> he said, honey, what are you thinking? We've got kids in, in college. How do you even think about buying a dress like that? And she felt sheepish about this. And she says, I'm really, I'm really sorry. I, I just don't know. I did not plan to buy that dress. I think the devil must have made me do it. And he, he says, come on, honey. The devil made you do it. She said, that's right. I, I was just trying on a few clothes in that store. Honest, I was going to get one of the cheaper dresses. And, and I heard the voice of the devil say, my dear, I've never seen you look more gorgeous than in that dress. And her husband just looked at her incredulously and said, Marilyn, you're a Christian. Why didn't you say to him, Satan, get thee behind me. She said, I said exactly that. And the devil said to me, Marilyn, it looks even better from behind. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of Marilyn in all of us. There's this little part of us that just wants to look great. That just wants to have people admire us that just is willing to do all kinds of things, sometimes imprudent, expensive things, to, to ensure that we become the focus of attention. We see this in all kinds of subtle ways. We'll work to project this splendid image to other people. We'll try very hard to, to, to present ourselves as poised and polished, as decisive and strong. We'll We'll find ourselves in conversation, I, I catch myself doing it, uh, seeking to better somebody else's story of striving or somebody else's story of, of suffering. Uh, we'll engage in name dropping, in opinion jousting, uh, in busyness matching, one of my favorite sports, just to show how important I am. Boy, I've got such a busy, you've got a tough day, let me tell you about my day. Um... We do these things to draw the attention to ourselves, to, to appear splendid in some way. And, and deep inside, we feel sometimes uncomfortable. We, we're almost aware of it as the words are coming out of our mouth. Or are we doing these things that there's some pride driving this? There, there's, there's, there's some insecurity that's motivating this. But, but popular culture is always telling us that the people that don't exalt themselves you know, are low energy. They're, they're just, um, the people that don't uh, vaunt themselves 
who don't lift up their education or their achievements or their experiences or some other mark of influence, they won't exert much influence at all. So, so the first step in the movement towards power so often is this idea that we must exalt ourselves. We must exalt ourselves. The second follows quickly on its heels. The devil said to Jesus, I will give you authority. I will give you authority. Every knee will bow to you. You will be master over everything that you survey. To you and to me, the voice of temptation says something similar. Uh, maybe in slightly different terms. To have power, it hisses. You need to exert authority. You need to exert control over things, uh, over people and circumstances. Uh, are you vulnerable to that particular ploy? I, I can confess that I am. I am vulnerable to that one. I feel like it is my job to control things. I'm an eldest son of an eldest son of an eldest son. I mean, I think I come about this genetically. I, I want to, to kind of make sure things are in order. I think of the time I spend trying to gain computer control of stuff. My staff over there is smiling. They know this to be true. I think of the, of the energy I put into getting managerial sway over the circumstances and the conditions of, of my workplace. I think of the energy that I put into manipulating the environment of my home or my work or hedging against the unexpected in my life or finicking over what turn out to be pretty ridiculously small details. And, and I tell myself in the midst of all that, I'm just trying to be responsible. And there is some responsibility in this. This is part of my stewardship impulse. But when I'm ruthlessly honest with myself, I will tell you it's because I like the power I feel, the, the control I feel when I have some measure of grip on things and can do it my way. I have bought sometimes the tempter's lie that control and true power are the same thing. That controlling stuff and having true power are the same thing. But the, the Christian scriptures teach us that, that God's understanding of power works differently. And the supreme example of this is the cross of Jesus Christ. You think of Jesus in that moment up on that hill. He is at a moment where from a human standpoint, he is out of control. They have taken away his clothes. They have taken away his health. They have literally pinned his hands and his feet. He can't even move uh, on that cross. He, he has lost all human authority of any kind, control of any kind. And yet it is in that moment, that sublime, supreme moment, Jesus is unleashing the power to save the entire human race and redeem the world. And Jesus had promised, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. I will exercise the most supreme kind of redeeming power. Evil tries to tell us that power comes from exalting ourselves, from controlling things, and finally, from existing to serve someone or something uh, less than God. Less than God. If you worship me, if you worship me, says Satan, it will all be yours. You'll get everything you want if you just worship me. 
And you can see why that invitation is a little bit tempting. Uh, At least I can see why it's tempting. Because there's something really seductive about serving something or someone that is less than God. That is penultimate, which means under the ultimate. There's something convenient about giving your life to penultimate things. Because penultimate things don't make absolute demands of us. They don't have the power to make absolute demands of us. Our career, our family, our uh, country, our recreational pursuits, these things will ask a lot of us. Uh, They'll make demands of us, but we can always keep secrets from them. We can always keep something back from them. We can always reserve some part of our truest selves from these penultimate things. We can pursue our interests apart from them if we want because they don't, after all, demand our very souls. They don't have that kind of power over us. Or so it seems. Or so it can seem. As the icon of evil Adolf Hitler once remarked, what luck for rulers that men don't think. How wonderful for tyrants and despots at the spiritual and the material level that human beings don't really think through the implications of giving their life to penultimate things. In my first post after seminary, I uh, moved out to Northern California and I took over a job that had been vacated by a pastor uh, by the name of Jeb Stuart Magruder. Uh, Jeb uh, Stuart Magruder had, uh, in his previous um, employment, uh, worked for the President of the United States. And um, he had experienced a level of power that very few people uh, ever experience in life. Uh, Jeb had... um, uh, spent his life in the uh, west wing of the White House. He had known what it was like to, to drive in beautiful cars and fly in Air Force One with heads of state. He, had, uh, he, he knew what it felt like to have um, CEOs of major corporations lining up just to get a golf date with him. He knew the feeling, the amazing sense of intoxicating power that comes with having hot and cold running assistants and everybody kowtowing to you and, and just uh, all of the stuff that goes with the worldly notion of power. Uh, Jeb could wax eloquent about what that felt like. But when I knew him, what he really wanted to talk about was what he learned not lounging in the Oval Office, but what he learned uh, sitting in a prison cell as one of the convicted uh, conspirators in the Watergate uh, scandal. And, uh, and Jeb, at that point, the message that Jeb was sharing at that point was of the dangers of the worldly understand of understanding of power. He would say, what shall it profit somebody to gain the whole world but lose their soul? This is He was now speaking the words of the ultimate boss, the one he was now working for in life. What shall it profit a person to gain the whole world but lose their soul? And it's a question that everybody needs to ask. Whether we're running for president or running for the train, we need to be asking this. What does it profit us to gain everything the world considers power if it means sacrificing our very souls in the journey? On a mountaintop long ago, evil put on his very best straight face 
and he looked Jesus in the eye and he fired out the most colossal lie ever told. Satan said, there's only one real route to power. You need to grab the glory. You need to claim the authority. You need to worship me. That's how you're going to get it, Jesus. You need to do these things and you'll have power in your hands. And Jesus of Nazareth begged to differ and he said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Give your life to him only. Now with that simple quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 6, Jesus is doing more than than rebuking the tempter. He's actually providing us with a clue. He's giving us instructions in a sense as to how we might find our way into a different kind of pathway to an alternative sort of power. And and the key to traveling this road lies in understanding what it really means and what it really involves to worship, to truly worship God. If you're anything like most of us, you, you tend to think of worship in terms of what we're doing here in this building today. You think of worship as as coming together to sing or to pray or to sit quietly beneath a, 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 a religious roof. You may associate the term with those activities, and that's part of it, of course. But at its heart, worship is a lot more significant than that. To really worship God involves three critical movements of the soul, three particular steps of the human spirit in a sense which are in the exact opposite direction of the route that evil calls us to walk and the tempter says for example as we've already said this morning that that if you want to gain power you need to exalt yourself worship says on the other hand that the way to access real power is to humble yourself it is to humble yourself i think back in this regard to to a moment in, in, in the history of another nation, it's said now that, that, the, that the revival of French culture following the decadence of Louis XIV's reign began the night of the dead king's funeral. And the monarch, Louis XIV, who had declared himself as the great, he named himself the great, uh, he was the one who said, L'état c'est moi, I am the state, I am the state. He had given orders that the cathedral should be very dimly lit for his funeral. That the only candle really in the midst of the celebration should be the one that sat right over his uh, casket. It was a golden casket designed to reflect the light of that candle to send out a message of what a great light he had been for all of France. And thousands waited in hushed silence as Bishop Massillon rose up to speak. And as he stood there behind the casket... He slowly reached down, wet his fingers, snuffed out the candle, and looked up at everyone and said, Only God is great. Only God is great. And in that act began the resetting of the imagination of a nation. Every single week, we come to this place, we gather in worship to be reminded of that truth. We come into this place and begin our service by singing not about how great we are, 
But how great is God and His glory? We did that again today. We continue in our worship service at some moment with a prayer of confession in which we confess our lack of greatness. We humble ourselves before the Lord. We recognize His great purity, His great holiness, and how much we desperately need His grace in the midst of our lack of holiness. We go on to sing hymns of thanksgiving to God for His goodness to us, not for our capacity to save ourselves, but for God's great willingness to do that for us. And the amazing grace is that in the midst of these acts of humility, of humbling ourselves, God unleashes upon us a power for inspiration, for forgiveness, for a, a revising of our worldview that actually lifts us up, that actually elevates us to a place we could never get to by our own striving. Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord, says the Apostle James, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself in your marriage. Humble yourself in your workplace. Humble yourself in your politics, in your circle of friends, in your family gatherings. Humble yourself and watch as he uses his power working through you to lift up others in all of those environments. Evil says to us, secondly, that in order to gain power, you have to exert control. you got to get a white-knuckle grip on stuff and sort it out. But it's not what Jesus tells us. If you would see real power at work through you, then deny yourself, take up your cross, surrender yourself, surrender control for the sake of others. I think of the story of the newly elected congressman who uh, stood at a reception at a balcony overlooking the Potomac River. Standing next to the congressman was a very, very seasoned veteran of the Senate. And and as they were standing there and talking, uh, a, a moldy old log floated by on the Potomac River and the veteran, long-term senator, turned to the uh, young congressman and said, you know, Washington's a lot like that old log down there. The congressman looked at uh, the older one in in curiosity, and the the veteran continued on. You know, just like that old log, there are probably more than 100,000 bugs on that log as it floats on down the river, and I imagine every single one of them thinks they're steering it. Every one of them thinks they have that kind of control. Paul Reese once wrote, I can count on God to let power loose in my life only when I am ready to let something loose instead. That is why I think having focused on the greatness of God in worship, we continue our service every week by intentionally offering to God something of our substance. That's what the offering's about. It's our way of intentionally letting loose, relaxing the control grip, saying it's yours, God. Do with it what you will. It's our way of reminding ourselves to let go, surrendering to a larger wisdom, grace, and purpose because it's a confession in a sense that real power doesn't originate with us. Real power is what flows through our lives. 
from a higher source. And that source's concern is the lives of others. The question I want to ask you today is who or what in your life are you trying too hard to steer? You know, love demands this. Love demands us to try and shepherd, to be responsible, to be good stewards. I'm not saying abandon. But what are you holding on to tight uh, to out out of an ego drive, out of a desire to exalt or to control? Uh, What is it that God would have you loose your grip on? Who or what are you holding on to maybe a bit too tightly that you now need to let loose into the hands of God himself? I believe that the more that we humble ourselves and the more we surrender control to God, the less we will tend to make the aim of our lives the service of penultimate things. You're going to want more and more as you humble yourself and as you let go of control. You're going to want to serve God with all that you are. You're going to want to do it. You're going to want to make Him the priority. You just can't open yourself to the Word of God and to the work of His Holy Spirit without it drawing out of you a deeper response. By inches and degrees as you worship, you are going to be giving more and more of yourself to his absolute rule. You're going to begin to see more of your relationships and more of your decisions and more of the events in your life and more of your resources as vessels that he wants to fill up and he wants to use for good. And, and, and you're not even going to feel overwhelmed by temptation as you were in the past, if this way of worship becomes your way. In fact, you're going to hear the hiss or the knock of Satan on your door. And instead of clenching and going for that door, you're just simply to say, Jesus, will you get that for me? Will you get that for me? And he will. By the power of his word and spirit, he will rebuke the voice of the tempter in your life. So the question I want to leave you with is, do you want influence? Do you want genuine power? Do you want the kind of power to promote flourishing in your life and the lives of the people that you get to touch and maybe people even beyond your view? If you want that kind of power, then humble yourself, surrender control, serve God with all that you are and all that you have. And watch God's power flow through you and flow through me as perhaps we've never seen before. For this is the word of the Lord, the call of God. Thanks be to his name. Please pray with me. Lord, you've reminded us in your word that your kingdom is not of this world that your power is greater than the version that is so often peddled to us. As we go forth into the wilderness this week, help us in every conversation, every conflict, every choice to serve only you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.